read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In the eyes of a growing number of observers, the future of democracy itself will be at stake in the 2024 U.S. elections, and this sobering fact has enormous implications, not just for Americans, but for the populations of dozens of allies around the world. One expert who's watching this matter closely and expressing deep concern on a regular basis is Duke University's Sanford School of Public Policy professor David Shanzer. Shanzer, who heads the Triangle Center on Terrorism and Homeland Security and holds forth regularly on the Substack website, Perilous Times, says the current pro-Russia, pro-authoritarian turn of many U.S. Republicans is an extremely troubling development. Well, Professor David Shanzer, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be with you. Before we talk about some of your recent columns, we can't really talk about the issues you write on, terrorism, homeland security, and really the future of democracy without talking about this election that looms several months down the road in which we will have what appears to be a relatively unpopular and older Democratic president running for re-election against a man who attempted basically to overthrow the government, (laughs) attempted to foment an insurrection when he lost the election in 2020. Talk to us about the state of democracy in our country and your hopes and your concern. Well, I start with concern for the world at large. We live in perilous times, very difficult period in history where we're seeing the reassertion of authoritarianism, uh, certainly uh, the rise of China and its uh, aggression in Asia against our alliances there. Putin and the war he's uh, waging in Ukraine and the, the threat he poses to other countries, which are now part of NATO and the, and the EU, as well as, I'd say, a quasi-authoritarian movement in, in Iran to disturb the status quo in the Middle East and assert its kind of form of radical Islam throughout uh, that part of the globe and to push the American influence out. Uh, you look at all of these things and not even mentioning other critical issues like North Korea and uh, nuclear proliferation, cyber attacks. It's a very destabilized world. I think this election has a lot of bearing on that. In our own country, we have uh, you know, roiling issues with respect to the push for greater equality, protection of the environment, and faith in our democratic processes. So within these candidates, all these issues are on the ballot at a very critical time in history. So I know every four years, everybody always says, oh, this is the most important election you'll ever vote in. But I really think 2024, it's actually true. Yeah, it it sure seems that way. There was a sentiment, I think, perhaps a year ago, not that many months ago, that maybe that the Republican Party had had enough of Donald Trump, that maybe they were willing to pivot to another candidate who might be more in tune with traditional American values when it came to things like authoritarianism, our role in the world. Uh, Trump, of course, espouses a, a very different point of view from really any other president or presidential, serious presidential candidate for decades, but it doesn't seem as if that's happened. It seems as if Trump is on his way to the nomination, notwithstanding all the criminal trials and the civil trials. What's going on in the modern American Republican Party? Is it the party that's changed? Is it it's, it's the voters in that party who have changed? Well, there's never been a, you know, in the, in, uh, never over the past four years, there hasn't really been a chink in uh, Trump's armor with respect to the electorate itself. I think there are definitely elements of the Republican Party that were hoping to move on from Trump 
and hoped that the primary process would bring that about. But the voters themselves and the base of the party, that sentiment uh, wasn't shared. He, he's remained popular. My view is because he appeals to people who feel forgotten about, who feel very hostile to the direction that they think that the, the country and the world is going, and they identify with him as someone who will fight for them and who uh, fights against things that they don't like, liberalism, Democrats, secularism, a whole series of urbanites, a whole series of issues. Uh, he touches their buttons very viscerally. And even in ways that candidates who espouse the same ideas don't gain the same traction with the electorate. Something about Trump and the way he talks to people have uh, engendered this fierce, fierce loyalty it doesn't translate over to midterm elections, doesn't translate over to a lot of other issues, but does translate over to his own popularity at the ballot box. Uh, and that has really been unchanged since 2016. I'm old enough to remember when it was a boilerplate component of the Republican agenda. The Republican platform was this strong defense, militantly anti, in those days, Soviet Union sort of perspective, fierce defense of NATO. Now the Russians don't call themselves communists, but they still are, of course, autocratic, authoritarian. And yet it seems that that's completely changed a lot of the attitude that a lot of Republicans take towards Russia, towards NATO. What do you make of that remarkable shift? Well, I mean, I think that's the stunning and uh, deeply disappointing. It's fiercely divided the Republican Party, mm -hmm. as you can see reflected in the vote in the Senate on the aid package that I believe divided the Republican senators something like 22 to 28 or close to that, with more voting against it than for it. Now, a lot of them had a variety of different reasons for voting against it. They said, oh, we're all for supporting Ukraine, but I couldn't support the bill for X, Y, and Z. But 22 senator, Republican senators saw clear to support the aid package, which was not only for Ukraine, but for Israel, Taiwan, additional money to support border security and the like. So it's deeply divided. It's party. There's still elements of the kind of Reaganite, pro-democracy, United States as a protector of values around the world, an internationalist perspective. It's America's role and duty as a protector of democracy through you know, defense, defense spending, and interventionist foreign policy. And uh, groups that uh, see, you know, very much America first, that these uh, efforts as a waste of uh, money that could be invested here at home and see the outside world as being threatening rather than opportunities for America's to do business and to spread our values. So it's a, it's a huge, huge shift. And there's nothing more to say than it's, uh, it's, it's very disappointing, but it is a reality. It has deeply divided that party. We're talking with Professor David Shanzer. He's a professor at Duke University's School of Public Policy, Sanford School of Public Policy. He's director of the Triangle Center on Terrorism and Homeland Security. He also is the author of the Perilous Times column on Substack. You should check it out at perilous.substack.com. We're talking about really the future of democracy in America and around the world in the context of the 2024 election. What about NATO? This is the 75th anniversary of NATO. It Throughout my life, that's just been a given, that that's a, a central component of American foreign policy, perhaps its most important alliance. And yet Trump's recent comments seem to indicate he would move away from that if he actually were to 
retake the White House. We've never gotten to the bottom of Trump's attraction to Putin, Russia, and the authoritarianism. Uh, there's always been suspicious that there's more to it than meets the eye. But, you know, if you just take the statements and his actions, he is smitten with Putin's power, his authoritarianism. Uh, Trump does not believe it's in Americans' interest to protect the members of our deepest and longest standing uh, alliance and sees that as a burden rather as a benefit, whereas every president before him and, of course, Biden coming after him has seen NATO as a as a vital national interest. You know, very interestingly, many Republicans joined in an effort, bipartisan effort in the past legislation that would prohibit the withdrawal of the United States from NATO without the approval of Congress. So even Trump acolytes wanted to make sure that if he was reelected, uh, that it, he would be restrained from withdrawing from NATO. But the, even the bare notion that that was necessary is really stunning. You know, Putin's autocracy, and of course we saw it in vivid display this weekend with the you know, supposed assassination of another of his key political rival who was already in jail. Unclear why he had to be uh, killed as well. Non-surprising deaths of many, many Putin opponents over the years shows the depth of his uh, authoritarianism and uh, totalitarianism. And of course, our allies are you know, very frightened by what they see in the polling, that in many polls, Trump is uh, ahead or even uh, with Biden for the 2024 election. And I think that puts shockwaves. And of course, Ukraine is beginning to lose the war, but this is a, a war that is backed by NATO. So NATO is beginning to lose the war in Ukraine because of the unwillingness to uh, continue to fund it. I think there's a good discussion to have about what the strategy for Ukraine should be going forward. But to abandon Ukraine would be a signal to every other ally around the world, not just in Europe, but in the Middle East and Asia, allies who've been siding with us to kind of put a hedge and confront China. Uh, that we can't be relied on to maintain our values, to uh, support the people who support us, to get any country to take a risk for the kinds of things we jointly uh, hold in, in, in common. We have to take a look at what we're doing in Ukraine, and uh, they're all going to want to hedge their bets against the United States to do anything that requires bravery and courage to stand up to uh, the, the aggression around the world. So if we don't back NATO, we don't back Ukraine, going to have repercussions around the world for many decades to come. Of course, President Biden has effectively tried to articulate a very similar point of view that you just articulated. He, he clearly is completely committed to defending Ukraine, re remaining closely tied to NATO. But I know you have concerns, and a lot of observers have concerned as to whether he is capable of pulling that off, whether that's a, an issue, whether he's reelectable, and whether, in fact, it's the best course for the country for him to seek reelection. I wonder if you care to share any thoughts on that? Well, it's an issue that tears me uh, to my core. As you may know, I, I worked for Biden uh, almost 30 years ago, so I have been following his career closely. I, I definitely supported him uh, for uh, during the nominating process in, uh, in 2020 and, uh, and support his reelection now. I you know, want to make that clear to your, to your listeners. You know, I think Democrats are well positioned in this election. I think all of the uh, 
recent uh, midterms and uh, special elections and voter referenda have showed that uh, Democrats are you know, well positioned for a lot of good reasons to, to do well. There's just a lot of hesitancy about Biden, not just among independents and uh, moderate Republicans who were needed for this coalition, but among Democrats as well. And the concerns raised from his age and capabilities to economic policy that hasn't really shown impacts for a lot of uh, Americans who are you know, still struggling with the higher prices, uh, as well as young people who I think went for Biden, maybe grudgingly, a crisis position in 2020 during the pandemic, went and voted for him during the primaries and the general election. But we're kind of promised that he was going to be a transitional figure they're ready for the torch to be passed a new generation. And uh, I think they're disappointed that this is the choice that they're facing. So the real question in front of the electorate is whether the threat outlined, uh, you know, lots of things that Democrats, progressives, young people care about that are at stake in this election if Trump regains the White House, uh, whether that's enough to draw them to the polls, given their hesitancy about Biden, or whether they just will sit it out or vote for a third party candidate. And the polls have been, unfortunately, very consistent on that point for a fairly long period of time. So you have to ask yourself, you know, is that possibly going to change over the next eight and a half months? You know, what could happen to, to change that? Maybe it's just the pendency of the election, you know, bringing the election down to a clear choice election between Trump and Biden and all they stand for or their values and policies, that that's going to get people away from the third party candidates, get them over their hesitancy about Biden, or whether it's a big problem for, for Democrats and those who you know care about you know democracy and climate change and NATO and things like that. If you care about those things, you worry that uh, you know by that coalition just can't be assembled again with Biden at the top. And uh, and that's you know deeply nerve wracking for a lot of people. And yet there's really hasn't been any other alternative to really emerge. Lots of commentators and I think very astute political observers who have gone further than I have and reached the conclusion that Biden just can't win. I'm not there yet. I want to see Biden perform you know, more effectively as a, as a candidate. And I certainly believe that's possible. And I want to see this campaign get into you know, higher gear. And bringing that message out, that message has to come out through the candidate's mouth more effectively, more frequently. I still think that is possible, but it is significant that not really a single important figure within the Democratic Party has reached that conclusion and vocalized uh, their concerns enough to, to say so. Party leaders, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, people who are within the Biden uh, orbit. You know, and I do trust them. They think this can be done. But we need to see more proof in the pudding over the next two to three months. We need to see some more improvement in these polling. We need to see these uh, attraction to these third party candidates go down. You know, Biden's going to have to run not only against Trump, but uh, against RFK Jr. and Jill Stein. They can't suck off 10, 15 percent of the vote and have Democrats have a chance. So it's going to be a complex and difficult campaign. The primaries are, are well underway and filing deadlines are being passed. So the complexities of, of uh, having a different candidate get uh, more and more difficult the further along you get. 
but uh, that's what uh, a lot of Democrats and people are, are thinking and worrying about these days. We really appreciate you keeping up with it and keeping track of it. Professor David Shanzer of uh, Sanford School at Duke University. He's also the head of the Triangle Center on Terrorism and Homeland Security. You can read all of his commentaries on his Perilous Times Substack column. That's at perilous.substack.com. Professor, thanks for being with us. Thanks for paying attention to these issues and offering the insights. And we'll, uh, I hope, can check in later this year. Perhaps the in a couple of months, the things you've hoped for will be realized. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks to you listeners. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.